We are deeply grateful for all your support these last few years. Your engagement on social media, your downloads, and your enthusiasm have kept us going since we started this Too Dope adventure nearly five years ago. Right, Kev? Yes. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your ongoing support of the content that remixes the conversation about race, power, and education. We have big hopes and dreams that you have inspired and with your support, those dreams begin to take shape in reality. In the coming weeks, you will learn about projects that we can now go forward with because you stepped up. Yeah, we're so happy. Of course, we still have numerous projects filed away that are awaiting your support. You can support these projects by visiting patreon.com slash 2 teachers. Patrons who join at the 2Dope level get a 2Dope Nation sticker. And what's better than stickers? Um, it's designed by local uh, artist Sham. And for a limited time, limited time, the next five 2Dope patrons will get a copy of Cornelius Miner's book, We Got This. What? What a deal. Hey, that is. And it's signed. And That's it's right. And it's signed. Patrons will enjoy special access to us in the form of Ask Me Anything threads, throwback old episodes, occasional Zoom meetings, and sneak previews to upcoming work and public appearances. Our upcoming podcast series, The Exit Interview, featuring the brilliant Asia Lions, which highlights the stories of Black teachers who were forced out of teaching is only possible because of our patrons. Right, and I can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to be so dope. So we asked and you responded. We look forward to growing and learning with you. Let's remix this conversation on race, power, and education. Colonizers weekend, uh, Colonizers Day. Uh, we yes. had a couple colonizers whose birthdays were today. We will not shout them out because we all know because you had to sit through it. Through That's right. Way too many times. Education. Uh, but we are back here with you. We're going to talk a little bit about a few things. But first of all, my name is Gerardo Munoz. And it is your man, Kevin Adams. That's right. He is a man for the second straight episode. He's a grown I'm, I'm man. a grown man. He has paid you better never forget it. That's right. And we are merely two public school teachers in the really cold city of Denver right now. We are two dope teachers and a microphone. Um, although I feel I've been reflecting, neither of us has used a mic in a while. Uh, so I, I feel like we are now two dope teachers and a Zoom. And a, and a Zoom phone? And the Zoom. And the Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. 
Um, so we're we're here. Uh, if you are new to the show, we tend to just talk about stuff that uh, black and brown teachers experience in our illustrious public school system uh, with levity, with seriousness, and with urgency, but not the white supremacist kind of urgency. Uh, That's but right. Urgency that comes from trying to get free. Uh, if you want to follow us, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Kevin, what is our handle? At Two Dope Teachers. That's right. And you can follow, and your auntie can follow us on Facebook, Facebook, Facebook.com slash. At Two Dope Teachers and a mic. No, no, no at on Facebook. I, oh, I'm sorry. Two Dope Teachers and a mic. And you can email us on, um, on our email address. You can send us praise, Grubhub gift cards, or general just love. Funny memes. Memes? Two dope teachers in a mic at gmail.com. Actually, two dope teachers at gmail.com, but we no we mic. Can't. No mic. No mic. Two dope teachers at gmail.com. There we go. We will teach Kevin how to be a 21st century adult yet. I'll find it. I use that. I send emails to it all the time, and you're like, I don't get them. I don't get them. <laughs> well, I don't get them. Why. That's because I'm not sending it to the right email address, which happens. <laughs> So before we get into today's show, um, we want to let you know that we will uh, we have a special guest today that uh, we'll be speaking with about some pressure, pressing, pressing, pressing issues um, that we're facing right now. Do you want to say a little bit about our guest? Yeah, yeah. We are blessed today to have Neela Ali rolling through uh, a teacher here in the Denver Public Schools. Uh and uh, a fellow member of the Black Educators Caucus who is coming through to talk about um, a campaign that the Black Educators Caucus is currently working on um, in Denver Public Schools to gather the stories of Black educators and other Indigenous people of color um, and their experiences with racism in DPS. Yes. You know, so really full trying disclosure, to full disclosure. Kevin is a black educator. Yes. Um, in DPS. In DPS. And he is a member of said caucus of black. Educators. Yes. In case yes. anybody was wondering. And Kevin if you officially... if you aren't out there, if you are a black educator and you aren't a member of the caucus, what are you waiting for? Hit us up. We'll Hit find us up. you. We'll, we'll, find, we'll point you in the right direction. Get in on this. Um, Get in on this. That's right. So, yeah. So, you know, we've been talking a lot over the last a few months, both on the podcast, but also in our real lives about the attack on black educators that is happening across our public school system um, in a time when purportedly black lives matter, in a time when when That's right. young people need teachers who are like them in front of them, uh, the hostilities and the atrocities as Neela describes them um, persist against black educators. So it is really an honor to, um, to bring her on the show. We're also gonna talk a little bit about our roles in the respective caucuses. Cockeye? Caucuses? Cockeye? Caucuses? I don't yeah. know. Uh, caucuses, we'll say caucuses. Um, not like the racist mountains, but no. uh, but in in our uh, respective caucuses and in uh, sort of our vision for black and brown solidarity. So we'll be doing that. But first, I wanna talk about my Denver Nuggets. Uh, what's going on? We you watched that game? Big victory last night. Yes, nationally televised. Got Man. to watch that game. Big you know, victory. So, I have to tell you, I was telling you this off mic. LeBron James used to be probably my favorite non-Denver non Nuggets player. Yes. 
Yes. I, I, I love his approach to the game. Yes. I love how he's matured as a player from I'm going to take my talents down to South Beach to just very matter-of-factly I'm going to bring a championship to Cleveland and then I'm going to go and do my thing. And he's really become – it's amazing to refer to him as an elder statesman because he's literally almost 10 years younger than me. Um, but uh, but he's really become this, like, this real icon in the NBA. His work in the community is just incredible. He just has no stop. And there's that one point – where uh, where uh, former President 45 came for him, and I thought I thought LeBron handled it beautifully, um, but LeBron is now a Laker, and at the risk of losing listeners, that's very uh -oh. difficult uh -oh. for a Denver it. fan to kind of deal with. Um, and very so true, very true. I still appreciate LeBron. I still appreciate what he's done for the game and what he's done for his community, but I just really enjoyed watching the Lakers just give up last night like they got ad the ad gets hurt he goes out hopefully he's okay you never want anybody to actually get seriously injured um and the uh and, and they were just kind of like okay we're at the end of a road trip whatever and uh nuggets played really well but uh we 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 stand zeke naji we yes. stand our little king faku Campazo. yes who's Baku. your favorite who's your favorite new nugget right now my favorite new nugget. Favorite new nugget right now. So you got, you got Faku, you got Jamichael Green, you got Jamichael. Oh, I've, I've, I've appreciated you him. Naji, you got Marcus Howard, you got R.J. Hampton. That's right. You got Greg Pinkton. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go Jamichael Green right now. Jamaica. I'm liking him. I'm, I'm feeling him. I'm feeling him. You know, but there, but like, you know, there, there's, we got to see, we got to, we still got a ways to go, right? When's oh, yeah. All-Star yeah. weekend? When, when's the All-Star break? Is it next Who week? Who cares? Who uh, cares? It's, it's like, I have stopped watching the All-Star game. I know Jokic is going to be, I, I don't, team. are they having an All-Star game? At first I, I hope not. It, it's a really bad idea in COVID with all, with this <laughs> compressed schedule with everybody getting hurt. Like it just, seems like a really bad idea which means they're probably gonna do it probably probably it's so there'll be a COVID outbreak because you know they're gonna be they they're gonna be partying at the club wherever yeah. it is yep. and wherever it is yeah. those nba so, players will be at the club yeah so i won't i will not watch the all-star game I, I i like your i like your pick of jamichael green like um the number one reason i knew he was a good signing for the nuggets yeah is that i hated when he came on the floor for the clippers because dude would just lumber around he's not a super fast guy and he would just hit threes and it was really frustrating and so to get that guy on my squad um is great right, i'll take it i'll take my it. favorite was Jokic when asked about him Jokic says i don't want to play with that guy for the rest of my life like not <laughs> Not for the rest of my career, for the rest of my life. Life. And, and that means a lot. Um, so I'm I'm with you for the most part, but I gotta say that my heart has been stolen this Valentine's Day weekend. Yes. By by a young baller named RJ Hampton. Yes. Yes. That dude plays a thousand miles per hour. He's not afraid of anybody. He's whippet thin, looks like a high schooler out there, and he is just so much fun to watch he's jumping up and down celebrating when his teammates do stuff that's been a lot of fun um but that was good so nuggets beat the lakers that makes me really really happy and um 
and you know it, it ensures that I will go into our professional develop day development day tomorrow in a somewhat decent mood. Um, nuggets losses, yes, with yes. Me. Nuggets losses get me down. Like I want to quit <laughs> everything. I'm like I'm gonna quit my job. I'm so down right now. I'm so sad. Nothing. Life is not worth living right now. Um, one may argue that I take it a tad too far. Yeah, I take it a tad too far. That's called passion. passion. That's called passion, dedication. That's, That's called hard body karate, I believe. I believe hard body karate. I believe they call that hard body karate. Our friend, our friend Wajma and I had a conversation over the weekend, and um, I think if there's anybody who gets more passionate about the Nuggets than me, it's definitely Wajma. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. On, we were on a Zoom call. We we're supposed to actually be talking about education-related stuff, and we spent about 45 minutes yelling about the Nuggets. And it was one of the most cathartic things I've experienced lately. So shout out to Wajma. Shout out. We'll see if you listen to the show. So yeah, so we're we're going to move into this next segment. Uh, Kev, we're going to talk a little bit about the work of the Black Educators Caucus and yep. um, kind of why we feel that these affinity groups within and organizing culture are absolutely critical. So why don't you take it away, man? T- talk about it. Preach to the people. So, you know, we so for those of you who aren't in the Denver public schools or who maybe haven't listened to the show as much, we went through a teacher strike. What year was that? Was that, well, that was- uh, 2019. 2019. 2019. So as, as 2019 and 2020 smashed together, it was 2019 right, when we had this teacher strike. And, and I think probably one of the biggest realizations in the teacher strike, one of the things that came up, I think that divided our community a lot was um, the, the perspectives of educators of color, students of color, families of color, when it came to what the issues were in the Denver Public Schools, you know, yeah. because when you're having a strike, what you realize, you know, you're raised kind of thinking that a strike is really about um, compensation issues, right? And maybe time and what the contract says about that. But you realize the contract is much more complex and it has room to be much more responsive to include things like, uh, you know, what, what are the, how do we make sure that budgets are created by the district and schools budgets are allotted in a way that schools can take care of the needs of the community. Right. And in particular, and uh, communities of color, those needs are also often really grounded in uh, socioeconomic needs, yeah. right? And so what we're talking about is mental health professionals in the school, right? Um, to really support the kids, not just guidance counselors, right? Yeah. But a psychologist, a social worker, you know, a full-time nurse. Yeah. And, and I think what we realized um, during our strike we, we saw, you know, at the same time as our strike was going on or, or fairly overlapping was a strike in Chicago by the Chicago yep. teachers and the, and the strike UTLA. in LA by the UTLA teachers, right? And so, and I think part of what we realized in our district, and, and, and this is, I mean, I don't know that we are going to take it for what it is, is that our union kind of seemed a little less progressive, I think, in our demands right. and what we were asking for compared to those other school districts. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of teachers of uh, BIPOC educators in DPS felt like, well, the bargaining wasn't reflective of our 
necessarily all of our demands, right? right. While maybe some of them related to compensation um, and some aspects of, of the contract really connected to our experiences, there were other things that were ignored, right? Yeah. Um, outright not talked about. And those things related to microaggression or the um, disproportionality of the impact of like professionalism, leap evaluations has had the uh, ways that schools have been restructured in uh, black and brown neighborhoods throughout this district, the way test scores have been used against those schools and principals and educators in those community. Yeah. And so, you know, um, after the strike, you know, having the opportunity, and it's funny you'd mention it because uh, the Teachers of Color Conference up in Boulder, I think, uh, we had these affinity spaces. Do you remember that? We went yeah. up there and they and we had affinity spaces and we got to break out. And so um, I found myself in a room with black educators let's, from all let's over. A, let's put a pin in that real quick because I want to come back to a piece re relating to um, to to the union, to the strike, to the whole practice of collective bargaining traditionally in the city of Denver um, as, in contrast to other places. So I, I think the number one failing of our union, and when I say our union, I say our union as a member of it. I am the union, just like any other member is the union. Um, you're never going to hear me say, well, they don't do anything at the union um, because really the union is me. And so if I'm going to say that, I need to be saying, I don't do anything at the union. We don't do anything at the union. And that's something a lot of educators are not comfortable saying. But one of our big failures as a union has been our inability to authentically engage communities of color and to really anchor ourselves in the communities that we serve or that we purport to serve. And it, maybe it's a function of the teaching profession in Colorado being overwhelmingly white. Maybe it's a function of Colorado being a right to work state, unlike states like California and Illinois. Maybe it's a function of all of those things, but whatever the cause, the reality remains that our union has not established strong relationships in black and brown communities. In fact, um, a lot of the practices in our by our union members and yep. our system um, have directly been harmful to black and brown communities, particularly when it comes to suspensions, expulsions, yep. in schools, policing tactics in our classrooms and, and those kinds of dynamics. And so one of the things that um, that needs to be that needed to be communicated was that this was literally a um, we were literally bargaining the compensation system. We weren't bargaining the master agreement, but That's even right. so we didn't really have the opportunity to, or we didn't really create the opportunity to, to tie teacher compensation and our evaluation system to larger inequities in our communities. And I think that was a really unfortunate thing. You also mentioned the, um, you also uh, mentioned the, uh, the issue of our special service providers, our counselors, our mental health support staff in the form of school psychologists, social workers, school nurses, um, and how we kind of rushed to this agreement without really looking at some of the big picture. Um, and so I think it's important to kind of note that, but also that um, that there were opportunities that we didn't really take advantage yep. of. 
do you do you remember when we had the random canned food drive on like the second day like that was just really interesting and look okay cool that's great but part of that kind of smacked of oh shoot we need to do something for the people (laughs) yeah like things like that um but yeah so so you had this opportunity i remember you coming out of that um that affinity space at toka in 2019 it had just been a few months since uh the strike had been had and um and i remember you coming out of the space and and it was clear that you had this kind of deeply spiritual experience which has eventually manifested in your membership in in dps's black educators caucus talk a little bit about that man well so how has that kind of been for you you know you know what's funny about the black educators caucus so like um just to give like so Tuesdays are my every teacher knows every teacher has like that busy day the day that you're just like oh my gosh everything happens on this day and so Tuesdays are really like that for me like they are a day that has gone by so rapidly but that's how I know the week is going so it begins like you know I teach my classes and then at lunch because we teach in the morning now on our virtual hybrid uh schedule and so like I have I I have the Black Student Alliance at lunch, right? And then I go through and then I have uh, the MUN students, like I get them in their meeting after the Black Student Alliance. And then I have the uh, instructional leadership team meeting. Then I have the equity team meeting. But, and then at the end of the day, we have the, the, the Black Educator Caucus, you know? And no matter what, no matter how tired I am, um, you know, I come into the, those meetings, roll in, and and I I feel rejuvenated, right? Because yeah. because it is that 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 fellowship, it is that that brotherhood, that sisterhood that I need, the familial community of Black educators, working. You know, and it's like it reminds me of what Goldie Muhammad talks about in her book, Cultivating Genius. You know, about yeah. those societies and groups of Black people coming together to solve their own problems, right? And getting educated in the process, working together, trying new things, you know, building, communicating, uh, practicing our skills, communicating, organizing meetings, you know, and really just building capacity as organizers, which I think is what we miss and what we really need in the union. We need people who are skilled in these spaces to go ahead and just like we need people of color uh, and black folks in all of these spaces, right? That's what that's what helps us get in, right? And so like to go back to you about like why we appreciate LeBron because we know LeBron is sitting at some major corporate tables yeah. and he's saying, these are the decisions that we're gonna make and this yeah. is why, right? right? And, and naming it, but you know, and so the Black Educators Caucus has meant so much to me um, because Again, it's, it's just a continuation of that path to liberation as a Black yeah. educator. And, um, you know, the work that we, we have done uh, just to organize each other and to, to try to get out the stories of, of Black educators, to try to get rid of, to support getting rid of SROs, um, to, to try to deal with evaluation, you know, to, to make these connections. And because I'm a teacher who's not in the far Northeast or the black part of our school district, you know, some of my experience has been different in some ways, right? Yeah. But also very similar, you know, there's these places where they overlap in these experiences. 
Um, and so like, I just see the Black Educator Caucus as something that's critical um, for our union to grow. Yeah. Um, even though I don't know, is we don't always feel that the union's always responsive to our needs, right? right? Yep. Again, because it's a it's a fairly large white body, right? And yep. and to say that we really need to take the needs of black educators seriously and the things that they're talking about, their experiences, you know, like it doesn't always lead to the solidarity that you always hope for That's within right. a union, That's like right. which is what you were talking about, you know, that history of leaving people of color outside of these unions. Yeah, I mean, and this will come up in the interview today, but there, but these these issues, particularly as they relate to teachers of color and communities of color, they're the first ones to be tabled when uh, the going gets tough, when there's urgency, when there's only so much to go around. So, so we're told, and and I think that pattern has to come to a stop. One thing that I think is beautiful about having a Black Educators Caucus is that. Black educators have been under sustained attack for years in our uh, system, maybe for the entire duration of our system of education, of public education. And, and there's this notion, um, of course, that's born of white supremacy that, um, that black folks just don't play the game right. They just don't, they, they're not, they don't, they don't meet our professionalism standards. They don't like what we have to say about Robert's rules of order and all these other kinds of things. And, um, and they always want to talk about race, right? And, um, and there are these things that, that kind of hang out there. And the thing that I think is incredible is like the, what, the reason I draw so much inspiration from the BEC in our district is that here is a body of folks who have every reason to walk away and to say, you know what, forget this. I don't need this in my life. I don't need to be treated like this. I can go and work in any other kind of environment and probably be treated a little bit better. And yet, and some are choosing that um, for their own, uh, for their own self-care, for their own healing. But to see this group that is organizing and I'm, I'm, I'm blessed enough to be on, on y'all's group me. And I get to see the, like the alerts are constantly going off and it's because it is a group of scholars um, and activists who are 100% engaged 100% of the time. And uh, what an amazing space to be a part of for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I like I said, and, and, and I just think it's important that we have these spaces and goes back to that experience and that affinity space, you know, like I was in there and I think there were probably 30, 35 black educators. Right. And we all said, and, and they were from all over Colorado. This is Delta, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. You know, but again, it highlights that need that we, we need that space where we can talk about our experiences and organize around our needs, right? And talk about race, you know, because it is pervasive in our lives as educators of what we see happening to our kids on a day-to-day -day basis, you know? But uh, you you are a member of the LEC, right? Which is the, the Latinx Educators Caucus. And so, you know, like, what, what does that mean to you? The same question back to you. Why, what is, what is the, and you guys are not as old as us, you not as established, not as established, um, you know, but like, I think you guys are in the early stages of some work that we had kind of already, I, that the, the, the BEC had gone through before I even got there really consistently. Yeah. Uh, but what does it mean to you being there at the LEC and really uh, being there to help? 
found yeah. it and saying this is a need in our community. Well, I need to I need to preface what I say about the LEC by saying I probably miss more meetings than anybody else. And I'm probably the least important member of the caucus at this point. Um, uh, you know, my, my, my partner is a part of it. And um, we have some wonderful- Shout out to Claudia. That's right. We have some beautiful, wonderful souls that are a part of it, including her. Uh, you know, shout out to, to Mikey, our dude. Yes. Yes, um, you know who, who ties ties both caucuses ties together, it all together. You know, and, you know like, I mean, honestly, we need to we need to figure out uh, something to do structurally so that Mikey doesn't have to do everything. Like, we just need to build our ranks. So that's right. You know, that's right. That's right. But yeah, to the to the homies, um, you know, uh, Daniel, Diana, Katarina, uh, Christina, former vice president of our association. Um, you know, uh, Jermaine and uh, Esmeralda, it's a really, really wonderful um, crew of folks. And we are very much in our infancy, uh, younger in experience and maybe like younger, because I'm, I think I'm the oldest one in uh, the LEC um by far um but it, it's sort of interesting so we've run into that wisdom isn't it funny once you get to that point where you <laughs> look around the room and you're like it's like wait oh, where's the adult oh <laughs> and they're all looking well, at it the like, notion <laughs> if you don't see the adult guess what you're, and, you're... And the notion that i'm the adult in any room is a very troubling notion that, um, that's why i'm like <laughs> give it to the young folks they 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 be true well and, they and inspire me thing. It, we don't have it like that. What's uh, what's that line in uh, in in Glory with Common and John Legend? It takes the wisdom of the elders and young people's energy. Um, I would also say it takes the wisdom of the young people and some of us elders still have some energy. And it's been really, it's been really, it's been pretty beautiful to sit and develop like our mission and our and our kind of understanding of who we are as a group and how we're kind of working on it because we've got a lot of interesting dynamics that come into play. Um, we have South American teachers who have never seen themselves as teachers of color until they came to the United States. I have, yeah. a, friend, <laughs> I have a friend who's Peruvian and teaches elementary school, and uh, and they laughed out loud when they got this email about being an educator of color because they've never seen themselves that way because they're a white Peruvian, right? Um, and, and there is a lot of color complexity and colorism as it relates to our community. Like, what does it mean to be a white passing English only speaking um, person with a Spanish surname? Like, what does that mean? What are the implications of that for our work as a caucus? Um, what are the implications for the fact that Spaniards, peninsular Spaniards are teaching in our district and view, and view themselves as Hispanics and Latinx people even though they're not people of color. And then uh, we get to haggling a lot over our label. And we actually had um, we, had, we actually had an educator inform us that they were not interested in being a part of our group because they told us that Latinx was colonizer language. And so, and, mm. and, and those, are, those are the areas. So I've been reading a lot of Adrian Marie Brown lately um, yeah. and looking at calling culture and how we sort of, how we, how we stop cancel culture and how we start looking at ways to call people in and, and yes. kind of do that. So I think I'll probably be reaching out to this individual, but, you know, and, and I don't think these things are unique. I think, I think every community of color has its own version of this, of who's the most down, who's the most brown, who, mm -hmm. you know, even around labels and that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, but I think that I feel as really keenly 
as um, as a Brown educator. The, but one thing I'm really proud of that we have done is we've, first of all, we've not backed down from these conversations and we've had these conversations in our group. And the second thing I think that has been really powerful that we've done is that we, um, as a group, as we're coming up with our mission and values, um, one of the values that we came down to was that no matter who you are, like there's a Latinx diaspora all over the place. Like there are, we, we have so much diversity. Um, there's overlap between Latinx people and black people. There are Afro Latinx people um, that are, that are a part of our community. Um, so one of our, uh, one of our non-negotiables is that Black Lives Matter and that we, we actively fight anti-blackness because those of us who are a part of this group understand that the weapons of racial oppression were kind of, um, they were forged against black people. And uh, when we're talking about systemic oppression, when we're talking about the atrocities that Neela refers to, um, yeah. these were first weaponized against black people. And then when they realize it would work against black people, they're like, yo, yep. Yep. stuff against a lot of people. And this is why black lives have to matter before all of our lives matter. So it's been good. I am, I'm not the best to talk to about it because I'm always the one saying y'all, y'all, I ain't going to make it tonight. I got five other commitments because your boy still can't figure out how to run a damn calendar. Um, uh, but, but that, that happens when you are, um, Colorado teacher of the year there. I was the first person to get to say it on this. Episode. Oh, Boom. Thank you. Bing. Yes. Bing. You know, there that's you go. The thing, and we should talk about this at some point because I think that it was really interesting. I texted you in Asia the other day um, because you know, where we've got this wonderful uh, series called what Kevin, what's it called? The exit interview. If you haven't checked it, it out, it is the latest, greatest, dopest, most amazing podcast from two dope teachers no and a mic. Productions, no cap, no cap in here at all. Yeah. And uh, this uh, podcast goes over the last straw. It is the chance for black teachers to tell, give their exit interview, tell okay. their side of the story about why they decided to leave the classroom and uh, keep it up. The We think, uh, did we recently have another episode drop? It's, really? uh, it's, so we have episode two coming out this Wednesday. This Wednesday, um, look it drops out for at 3 a.m. on Wednesday. So refresh your podcast feed while you have your coffee and exit interview episode two. Um, everything for a reason will be out on Wednesday morning. It's going to be great. It'll be actually, it'll be out before you hear this episode. There you go. Boom, <laughs> so, boom, bap. Go back in time if you didn't check right. it. Go back and check time. it. So, you know, I've been reflecting on Satara's story, right? And, yes. Uh, you know, Satara's story is one of many that um, exist among our black and brown educators, but particularly in our black educators. And last week, and we'll, we'll have to have a longer conversation about this another day, but last week I was at National uh, Teachers of the Year induction for two days. And yes. Um, and it was really interesting because the, the issue of racial oppression as it is experienced by teachers of color came up and it might have been the dude from Colorado who brought it up. Oh, surprise, surprise. Oh, man. It starts some... They don't, you know, they don't start and, talking about you. That that brown dude from Colorado always be bringing up Always race. be bringing stuff... Yeah, we know why I'm not national uh, teacher of the year. Finally. That's right. That's so, right. Didn't so, someone tell you that right then? <laughs> Didn't you get that Yeah, they're kind of like, well, that's why it's not you. Um, but what's, in, <laughs> what's interesting... So you know how it is when you say that thing that's on your mind and you, you're pretty sure other people probably think it, but you're on Zoom and so you have no idea. Yeah. So I kind of, you know, made a statement and then there was like 
about two seconds where I was like, uh oh. <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> and then our boy Eric Hale jumped Shout on out. it. He Shout it out. was like the teacher of the year. It was like he had his finger on the space bar and he's like, yep. And I want to say something about this too. And That's it what's opened up. up a really beautiful conversation. Here's the thing that I realized, man, that just really hit me deep. The stories of these educators who have reached the highest recognition in their states. Yep. And the stories of the ed of the black educators that we are interviewing for yep. because they've had a last straw because they're finally like I am out. I am better than this. I need healing. They're not that different. So we literally could be running out future state teachers of the year because I don't care who you talk to, whether it's Eric Hale, whether it's Rodney Robinson, who is 2019 National Teacher of the Year, like they are sharing these stories of professional trauma that they are experiencing. And it just creates this incredible urgency to do this work. Again, not in the white supremacist notion of urgency, but we've got to do this. We've got to stop hemorrhaging black teachers. Yes, I, we got a hill, you know, and, and I think Neela hits it is, is part of the campaign that she's going to talk about uh, the DPS hashtag, the deep hashtag DPS so racist campaign, uh, which I think kind of highlights this, that there, there is some pain that we have to go through. You have to hear that story to allow for healing. We have to name it. You can't expect for us to go into these same spaces that some of us people like Neela entered in and were harmed as students right and entered into this profession in spite yeah. of that and 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 are still being harmed by the same institution on the other side as a teacher when you're going in trying to to help to to be that need that we know that all the data says is critical for all kids not just black kids but all kids that's right that's right so you know we will be continuing to do this work and kevin i think we're probably going to be doing this work after february Oh, imagine that. Imagine that. Imagine that. Um, yeah, we're going to keep on doing this work. And we really do encourage you, if you have a story to share, uh, get at us. And um, and we've got lots of platforms where uh, we can amplify our story. If you are a Denver um, Black educator, Black and Brown educator, as kind of Neela will tell you in the interview, um, there's going to be a way for you to follow um, the work. And we will, again, recap it at the end of the show. Um, also, if you have a story to share for the exit interview, you can email us to teachers at gmail.com and we'll continue be do, to be doing this work. And since you brought up that I'm a uh, Colorado teacher of the year for 2021, yes. Yes. Um, that's actually one of the things that I will be working towards is how do we address the systemic injustices that result in an attack on black and brown teachers, but particularly on black teachers. So uh, that is what we'll be doing. So should we give the people this interview? Got to give the people, give the people what they want. That's right. Sing it. All right. <laughs> so here it is, our interview with Den Denver Public Schools teacher and um, founding member of the Black Educators Caucus, Neela Ali. All right, everybody, we are here with Neela Ali. Uh, we're going to talk about a few topics that may be of interest to our listeners, specifically uh, the Black Educators Caucus and DPS, as well as the new campaign, hashtag DPS So Racist. Neela, how are you doing today? Good. I'm glad to be here. Thankful to be here. Awesome. We are glad to have, to have you. you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. As, a, as, a, as a fellow member of the Black Educator Caucus, you know, I think 
the greatest educators I come in contact with each week. You know, I just think it's important that we get our voices out there and the work that we're doing. So I'm glad you uh, come and sit with us for a little bit today. But uh, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about the Black Educators Caucus and more importantly, why you felt like it's important to be a part of that Black Educators Caucus? Yeah, so the Black Educators Caucus was um, originally stemmed really outside of that idea. Like when there was the strike, there really wasn't a place for people of color to lead and be the voice. And so we felt that we needed more representation. Um, and so the founders, uh, Monica and Manasseh, uh, started the Black Educators Caucus. And so I just had gone to one of the earlier meetings. It was at Manual, um, really impromptu. Uh, and there's a lot of Black parents and educators that have already been doing the work. And so um, I feel like, you know, we're really young in infancy, but we've been learning and we sit on great shoulders. And so just working on things that we need to address in DPS to make it equitable for teachers and to retain teachers. Um, I think a big part of the Black Educators Caucus is Black Lives Matter at School Week. And so those four unities really push our work and our agenda and what we're about. And I think for me, like I can't teach in a district uh, that doesn't do what they need to by black and brown students. I was a DPS grad and it was important to me to go back and just like make sure that we address the inequities because they're there and they're palpable and you could feel those things. And so uh, personally, I could feel them. Um, I could see my peers not making it. And that was something that was important to me to make sure that everyone has an education. And I think the Black Educators Caucus is really working on making equity, equitable for all. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's, it's funny you talk about, because I remember meeting Monica and Nas and, and, and just hearing about this idea, Nas coming to me, Black Educator Caucus and Monica, Black Educators Caucus, and I was just like, yes, yes, this is overdue, you know, and, and for all the same reasons of what, you know, I've seen in my time in the district, and I, I'm not a DPS grad, you know, I Gerardo, Gerardo I is, Gerardo is, he'll let you know every time too. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I graduated from uh, the manual high school in 1994. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's interesting to hear you talk about the ways in which you have observed uh, the people that you grew up with, not having an equitable experience in their education and not getting um, what education is supposed to give every child in in um, in public school in general and in Denver public schools in particular. And so um, I'm not going to say it feels good to hear that I'm not the only one that's noticed this. It's pretty unfortunate, actually. But it is affirming to know that this work um, is, is critical and it's important for us to be a part of. Um, let me ask you a little bit. So you talked a little bit um, about and you touched on this early in your comment, um, equity regarding our black and brown teachers in DPS. Can you speak a little bit to what that looks like? What is it that um, either frames the inequities that BIPOC educators face or that we strive for in terms of our black and brown teachers? So I think um, initially it's um, coaching and training. That's what for me was like important is like, Educators need this coaching and training. Oftentimes I would see educators of color be 
moved up and then they are um, the proxies, right? Or the ones that get blamed for things that aren't going right or for a school being red. And so I was like, this is an inequity um, that I'm coming to the table thinking about. And then sitting with educators and then listening to their stories and hearing about the atrocities that are happening to them, mm -hmm. um, that has been really the push right now is like people being told that they're unprofessional because they changed their hair or uh, people saying that they're angry and getting these stereotypes, uh, people being basically bullied by admin and cornered and the racial microaggressions that are present in the workplace uh, that make it really intolerable. And then, you know, what's worse is it's really bad in the far Northeast. And we all know, right, what the research says about kids, they need to have black and brown teachers in front of them. Yeah. But if admin aren't trained to work with BIPOC educators, then racial microaggressions are in place. And we have tons of evidence and tons of educators that have talked to us um, in anonymously, but then also like have want to share their stories and put it out there. Like th this is serious. This is something that's going on and we're tired and uh, it's not fair. And we say that we're a district about equity. Uh, so where's that money at? Where's the proof? Yeah, it's so important yeah. when you start thinking about um, the this work. I mean, we all three of us have had to sit through professional development sessions, both at the building level and the district level, where um, we are implored to in to interrogate our implicit biases, and we're implored to understand the backgrounds of our students, and yet for black and brown educators, particularly black educators, who I think are uniquely under attack in our system, um, the that is just such an odd ask because um, they're not receiving the benefit of that doubt. Kev, you were gonna say something. Yeah, no, just for our listeners, not in the Denver area, you know, the far Northeast part of our district is the predominantly black part of our school district. And so, you know, these schools have been turned around and subject to all sorts of educational reform experimentation and, and the teachers have been, you know, targeted and harassed and the administrators have been you know forced to you know implement district you know policies that have been negative um it negatively far disproportionately negatively impact the schools in the far northeast i have some know, data of, i have some uh, data public I, schools i have some data i have so some data hit so them with the data yeah so according to the learning policy institute the attrition rates of uh, black men and women educators, particularly of black women educators, is 60% higher every year than the attrition rate of non-black educators. And so when we talk about bullying, when we talk about stereotype, when we talk about these professional atrocities being committed against our black teachers, this is not just a matter of a few vocal people who had a bad experience across the system, 60% more likely. And, um, and I think it's incredible you all are doing this work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so, Neela, you talk about the stories, and I think that's the perfect launching pad to the hashtag DPS So Racist campaign, which I think, if I remember correctly, this is like your your baby. I think you really kind of put a lot of effort in, in, in pushing us to, to plan out this project and, and do the work. And I just think it's great. So if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about the project and um, how they can get involved and all the other great stuff. Yeah, um, I wish that I could claim it was my baby, but um, the <laughs> way that the Black Educators Caucus works is like we're definitely a collective. That's right. And so 
definitely a ton of ideas. And I, to be honest, I couldn't even tell you whose idea it was initially. Um, but this summer we were working really hard. Uh, there were the protests going on. We wanted to put some more capacity out there. And exactly, we had been hearing these stories. We'd just been hearing them. And we had been vaguely talking about collecting them just to start keeping a bank and for data purposes. And so we start collecting the stories and DPS decides that they're going to make the Black Excellence Plan a thing, right? Because of the protest, whatever. Um, they get rid of the SRO thing that's going on. I'm not sure what it's called. You know what I'm talking about? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, the, the, resources, uh, resources yep getting rid of the school resources officers. Yeah, which with the money saved, I think we can get a ream of paper each. I, I really think that's what that budget <laughs> really not that much money that's saved, um, but it does get cops out of schools. And so yes. we were a little frustrated because literally that February we had done a press release like, hey, these are problems that we see in the district. And then it was ghost silence. We didn't hear anything, they didn't respond to us, um, but they responded to the protests, which is great. I mean, better sorry than not. Yeah. But still feel like there needs to be pressure and there needs to be acknowledgement. And I feel like the community, right? I've heard parents, um, other DPS grads say they want an apology for how things have been done and we deserve those apologies. And it's still going on, right? Teachers, we've had teachers submit stories of things that have happened this year yep. with the rollout of the Black Excellence Plan. And so we decided that we've been collecting stories. We started collecting them. Um, we decided that we wanted to really create a campaign to bring awareness, um, the anti-racism campaign and really try to like let people know these are what BIPOC educators are going through. And I mean, our initial focus was black teachers, yep. but with the responses we got, it's wide, it's everyone. Um, we've got literally across the gamut. And so bringing that to light and then hopefully the district can respond. They are doing some great things with the black excellence plan. I think there's a little bit of move, movement and momentum um, but like I said, we really do want apology and we want to change the contract language, right? We want to put pressure on them to let them know these microaggressions are happening. So look, it sounds like what, you, what you're working to do is raise awareness and demand action on two fronts. So we're looking at, we're looking at, a, at, a, uh, at a policy, um, at a kind of a policy move at, at the highest levels of DPS in the form of an apology. And I would imagine that apology should then come with some form of reparation, right? Um, and then, but also looking at the contract language, applying pressure to um, the Denver Classroom Teachers Association, the union. Um, does it, So you're sort of, you're definitely putting pressure on two pretty powerful entities within uh, DPS. Have you had initial conversations with, with both sides? Um, has that radio silence with DPS continued or um, has there, you, you mentioned some momentum, has there been any movement on, um, on getting these demands met? Well, you know, I will tell this, uh, we've, we've uh, working to create a, a bargaining team with black teachers of, of uh, you know, a BIPOC bargaining team to have interest-based bargaining with the district to try to really uh, begin to bring about uh, some of the changes to the contract language, particularly around microaggressions, professionalism, uh, like Neela has talked about, and how that's disproportionately, you know, impacting Black educators. So the way I see it is like, these programs are dovetailed, right? And so it's like, like Neela has mentioned, we got to honor our stories, right? And a lot of times our stories are pushed to the side, 
and people and the district puts itself out in these kind of grand kind of policy announcements, black excellence plan, removing SROs, you know, um, supporting black lives matter. But then what you find out from these stories is that these, these kind of microaggressions and, and sometimes outright racism still goes on, right? And even in the time of the black excellence plan and a lot of our buildings, the black excellence plan has turned into like the project for the black teachers, right? Who particularly want to work on it or, you know, are forced to work on it because they're like, nobody else is going to take it seriously. And if I'm not at the table, you know, what, what will this plan look like if I'm not sitting there? Yeah, and we've been working with DCTA. So we've been really trying hard to get a bargaining team, um, to get our folks trained. We have people ready to go sit on a team for them. Um, but we feel like we're getting a lot of runaround. There's also an election, but that's not an excuse. Like if this is something you prioritize, right, that you say that is important, then like, where's the backing behind that? Like bargaining's coming and we yeah. need to be prepared and we need to be ready. Um, we have worked with Schoolbird. We've talked to them. We've um, engaged with them. We've gone to events with them. <clears throat> and I think for them, it was like, we just want to get the resolution out there and we want the district to handle it. And so I think our equity squad, um, Dr. Fernita Ware and Daniel Harris um, and Leslie Junal are doing a really good job of trying to like put stuff out there. Like they've been doing this work for a long time. They've been spearheads in the district and the thing I think is, it's optional, right? Schools can elect, decide to elect in if they want to. And it's like, why is it optional? And where's the money at? Yep. You, you have money for all these other things, but it's like, you can be paying teachers in buildings um, to do the trainings instead of asking teachers to do a lot of work and give them no money. And then they have to deal with exactly principals that are bullying or doing outright racist things. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the simplest thing to do would have been, you know, um, because we knew about, we knew that a Black Excellence Plan was coming and that schools would be responsible for developing one. Uh, an, an easy thing that a building leader can do and say, is say, we're going to do a school-wide PDU and everybody's going to get paid. Like, so we're going to put, we're going to really take this seriously as a community. Uh, you will be compensated for taking this seriously and we're going to put something in place that could really work. It is interesting because I've, I completely agree with you in, in my two plus decades as a teacher. Um, it's just been really fascinating to see how quickly initiatives that benefit black and brown people get pushed to the side in hard times. It's like, oh, well, right now it's COVID. Oh, well, right now we're dealing with a big budget shortfall. Well, we have elections. Well, you know, there's a whole master agreement that needs to be, uh, you know, bargained and, you know, um, and I, I'm just deeply appreciative that um, the BEC through this work is, is prioritizing this stuff. And, um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about ways people can get involved in too, right, Kev? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And so, uh, Neela, like I said, this is so great. Um, we want people to follow the hashtag DPS so racist, right? And uh, you can follow the Denver Black Educator Caucus um on facebook at facebook.com um so where, where's the hashtag going to be trending that's the big thing are we looking where are we going to be finding that hashtag to follow yeah probably on facebook um we still are in the process of recording videos so we'll need um we're wanting white allies and so um they will be reading the story so that way not to incriminate anybody everything is anonymous 
Um, and we're still collecting more stories. So we have about um, 50 something stories um, and we want more. So you can submit stories and you can also, like I said, um, we need allies that are willing to read the stories. Yeah, and, and the stories, camera. oh, I, I apologize. What were you saying? <laughs> what I said and be on camera. Okay, so, um, and, and then the stories, uh, will they submit those to the to the Facebook page or is there someone else, somewhere else that they can submit these? Yeah, there's a Google form. And right. so we can, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's posted on the Facebook page and we'll be posting more. All right, well, we'll definitely get that out there. Yes. Absolutely. All right. All right. Oh, go ahead. No, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Neil. Neil it, um, is there anything else you want to say for the cause to the people? Right now, the microphone is yours. Take it where you want to take it. Um, as we wrap up, we're definitely going to be posting hashtag DPS so racist campaign uh, because this is really important. I think it's at the roots of like, you know, as a member of the Black Educator Caucus, what I'm about, but I think what our podcast is about too. Yeah, and I just like, I appreciate that space. And I would just like to shout out, there are so many revolutionary teachers in the district right now. Um, and I think that's like a big reason why we're getting so much momentum and we're able to do these things. And so that's what, you know, just highlight them and be vulnerable and knowing that they're going through all of these things and that we, it's time for a change, right? It's time. And these stories will be so powerful. Um, you know, we do know that um, that stories, along with with policy work, um, can really uh, result in some systemic change. And hopefully, we'll see it. Um, hopefully, before I retire at some point, that would be really nice. That's um, yeah, that's right. Uh, Neil Ali, thank you for being with us today. Uh, looking forward to hearing more about the work. Um, and looking forward to seeing the results of the hashtag DPSO Racist campaign. As a student, how many black teachers did you Your answer is two or less. You are not alone. We know that black teachers are under attack, and with all the conversation happening about black teacher recruitment, shouldn't we be talking about retention too? So where are all of our black teachers? I'm so glad you asked. In the new monthly podcast series from Tudo Productions, the exit interview coming in late January, Asia Lyons, hey y'all, and me, Kevin Adams, talk with former black educators who've been pushed out of the classroom. We want to know their stories. Who or what made them leave? How was their family affected by the push out? And most importantly, what are they doing now that they've left the classroom? If you'd like to be on the exit interview, reach out to us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Dope Teachers or email us at twodopeteachers at gmail.com. Well, there we go. That, there that go. was that was 
the the great Nila Ali. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, one of the one of the members of the Black Educators Caucus that inspires me, right? And so we talk about like creating these kind of uh, these these movements and these groups and organizations and coming together, you know, it's, that's the best part of it is you get to meet people like Neela, other like-minded teachers. And I love what Neela said about, you know, that there are a lot of dope revolutionary teachers in the district. Yeah. And um, I don't know about you, bro, but, but 15 years ago when I started my first year, you know, and I came in thinking about critical pedagogy and, and being a culturally responsive educator and had read yeah. a lot of this theory, a lot of it I found like there wasn't a clear space for me to implement That's that right. practice oh, exactly. or, or, or it wasn't desired. It wasn't viewed as a valid practice, right? And so what I see right now as we come together with the Black Educator Caucus or even the work of the LEC, um, the work of, um, you know, the indigenous education department in DPS, yeah. shout out yeah. to them. I think Rose, you know, they we love you, Rose. We stand Rose. They have, have laid, laid the groundwork for what, when I've always said, what really a culturally responsive classroom can look like potentially and yeah. challenging those white supremacist notions of what education looks like. Absolutely. And just living as an like existing in, in our ways is, is a, is a challenge. It's an insurgent move. It's a challenge to the the widely held systems and assumptions of this system. I, I thought it was a I thought it was a really enlightening conversation. And one thing that um, the one way that that I think Neela's words were so important is that she really tied everything together systemically. Um, so it is so the the work that BEC has been doing, which is so motivational to us in the Latinx caucus was really um it it a uh, i don't know if this if this hits you the same way it hits me it's addressing structural issues in a collective fashion so when she says i was not the one that came up with the hashtag hashtag dps yep. um yep. you know i wasn't the one that came up with this i don't even remember who did it but all i know is that we came together as a community that the black educators caucus formed collectively behaves collectively um as somebody who's on who's fortunate enough to be on your group me um i see the the collective uh spirit of things that that kind of comes out there isn't a single voice that dominates everything everyone's engaged and um and so it it, it is really a wonderful example uh for um you know for what we're doing or for what you're doing for what we should be doing in our communities yeah, you know, and, and again, I think the work, it's important to get these stories out because, you know, going back to to um, to, to the homies, uh, to, 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 to our, to the greatest homegirls in the world. Where are you right? going? The legend, <laughs> Winona and Priya. Oh, that's you know, right. Tell me who you are, right? And yeah. it, it just really reaffirms the role of the stories. Yeah. Right, that it's it really is space for us to tell our stories and to use those stories to say, no, there's a justification to change the way that you're negotiating uh, with the district, right? And the way That's that right. we evaluate teachers because the way that it it's happening, it's racist, right? We've, yeah. we've the black educators are saying, I'm perceiving this as unfair, right? And racist toward me in my community. Right. And at a time when the district is saying, 
hey, we support black lives. Exactly. We want to retain and recruit black teachers. We'll hear our stories and our experiences, you know, and I think the Black Educators Caucus, you know, like you said, it was really organic for us to say, how can we get these stories out? Right. How can we collect these stories? But then how can we share them so people can, you know, begin to feel some validation? Yep. So there's a there's an online campaign um, uh, through social media that has started on Facebook. So if you search Facebook for DPS Oasis, that's the name of the um, of, of the uh, group, right? The hashtag. Yeah. And then so you can go to Black Educate Denver Black Educators uh, Caucus on, on Facebook. Facebook. That's right. Okay. So you go to the Black Educators. When was the last time you logged on to Facebook? I'm just wondering. Uh, it's been a minute. Don't put me <laughs> out there like that. Why are you trying to? Uh -uh. Don't get Mark Zuckerberger following me. Zuckerberger. Uh -uh. Zuckerberger. Uh -uh. Me and Boosie. Me and Boosie. We, we in the same struggle. <laughs> Me and Boosie in the same struggle. It's true. I was just telling um, a, a group of educators that you and Boosie was in the same struggle. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah, so on Facebook, you can find the Black Educators Caucus. You can follow the hashtag DPS So Racist. Uh, the campaign is launching, and there is also a form that is linked on the Black Educators Caucus Facebook page um, that we will also be sharing on our social media platforms as well, um, on our Twitter, on our Instagram, on our Facebook, but also on mrmunoz.org, um, that you can complete this form and you can tell your story um, and have that story shared. And that, that's the other cool wrinkle is that they're getting allies to share these stories. Which yep. I think so, so your stories will be anonymous, right? So there could be no repercussions on folks in the district, you know, because because we've seen how this stuff can be weaponized, you know, yeah, against right. teachers right. of color um, all the time. So, you know, and getting allies, white allies to share, because we know sometimes that we are not always listened to. Yeah. And so we're going to use those voices. Um, and well, so and if you're interested for being an ally, get in touch, get in touch. And, that, and that's, you know, I think that's actually super powerful. Like, and again, this is something that I go into a little bit more in, in my uh, teacher of the year platform, but when you say the words of black scholars, it just hits different. Like my entire life as, and my identity changed when I memorized a Langston Hughes poem. And I think this is the same sort of thing that you need to say the words to get them to sink in. You, how does it, you know, how does it feel for an ally to speak the words and for potential allies to hear the words being spoken by their own? So I think that can be a really powerful thing. So, um, so great. Yeah. Check out, check out all of our other episodes, check out our most recent um, episode of the exit interview with Asia Lyons and Kev, Kevy Kev. I'm going to change your Kev name to that on the post, Kevy Kev. Um, and, you know, we're going to continue uh, supporting and telling these stories to the best of our Kevy B. Kevy B. Kevy B. But your initials not. Oh, yeah. Kevy B. Because, oh, Kevy B. I'm not supposed to say it. You, you can say it. You can oh, put okay. it out there. People know it. People know it. Yeah. Especially if you listen enough. So for my dude. Kevin Bernard Adams. Kevy B. Kevy B. I am Gerardo Munoz. G Money. G Money. Uh, G Munio, as my homie Ben used to say. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed your long weekend. We hope this short week is treating you well. And, yes. Uh, and we hope that today, tomorrow, 
in February, beyond February, in the entire year that you always stay focused, stay optimistic, stay organizing, but be sure that you, above and beyond, always stay, stay dope. dope.